something on? Maybe. Hello. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so before I start, uh, in your bulletin, I had Pam uh, print out a QR code. If you open your camera, you can scan that, and you can follow along and view all the verses in the YouVersion Bible app, or you can go there through the app and just search for Holy Christian Church under the events. Uh, I'm also going to explain my uh, slide choice here because I feel like it may not be, uh, people may, I'm very nervous. So, um, this is a stormtrooper from Star Wars. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the movies, they become clones, copies of one individual. And so, you know, if you are a clone, you, if you are a clone, you would struggle to, you know, find your identity because you're the copy of millions of others. So, clone, identity, and I like, I think, I thought it was a cool pop culture reference. So that's, that's why the Stormtroopers here, uh, just so we know. So, uh, before I start, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all the youth being able to be here, for everyone being able to listen to what we have to say, to follow along in our worship, and to worship with us, be with us to continue, not only today and uh, through worship tonight, but also continue on into uh, the rest of our lives to be inspirations for Christians around the world and for our congregation here. In your name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about identity. Uh, but identity is kind of hard to cover because it's everything we do. How I dress is my identity. How I speak and how I act is a reflection of my identity. And there are whole careers based on deducting someone's identity, usually criminals, finding personalities and identities. Uh, psychologist Eric Erickson famously developed these stages of uh, development, a sort of main conflict for each age group. Uh, and so, for adolescents, you'll see he assigned the conflict of identity. Adolescents are trying to find their identity, and since this is Youth Sunday, and adolescents are youth, and you'll notice I do fit into that age group of adolescents even. <laughs> We're going to talk about identity. Erickson assigned adolescents the conflict of identity. Teens want to be accepted by those around them, and teens want to define their identity and find who they are. And so does everyone else, not just teens. Uh, so let's present what we first learned at uh, the event in Ozark. We talked about identity in one of the side lessons. So what they first presented was culture in our identity, how culture used identity, starting with feelings at the core, and your feelings influence behavior, influences God, influences people. And then they then went over that, you know, showed how that didn't work, and then they talked about the gospel in our identity, how we should put God at the center of our identity, and then God will influence behavior, influence feelings, influence people. So first, what is behavior? That was the first thought I had. Uh, and the, the dictionary defines it as the way in which one acts or conducts oneself, oneself especially towards others. It's like actions. Uh, and so to kind of sum up what they said, as Christians... We should live from our identity, not for our identity. Uh, so, and I mean, what, what we learned here was good, but uh, I'd like to throw my own ideas into this, uh, an, an improvement, if you would want to call it that. So for the worldly view, for the culture view, I feel like people should have a bit more of an influence, because people, you know, really do influence how we are. Uh, so I'd like to present more, maybe more of a loop, loop of identity. So, you know, we can, start, we can start with people. Maybe, you know, you say, someone says something and that hurts your feelings, right? So then you act without thought and you hurt, what, you hurt God, you do what you shouldn't have done, and you let some people down, and it loops again. 
or maybe you know you have a lot of large expectations from people, and that leads to a lot of stress, a lot of temptation. And you do some actions based on that, relieve the stress. You fit God into excuse. You lose yourself to people, or you can start with feelings. You know, you're feeling crazy. You go out with friends to a sketchy place. You manipulate God's word. You conform to people. You gain more feelings. It could spiral out of control. And when we do spiral, when your identity starts to spiral, you lose yourself. And you go into a bad mental space, mental space. And I think that's why it's so important to know your identity. You are who you are. That seems obvious. But what happens when that all goes wrong? You lose yourself. And we'll talk about that in a second. So where does this loop go wrong? Why doesn't this uh, work? Why is society's view of identity not good? I'm going to introduce something that I'm going to say a lot today. When what becomes your identity fails, your self-worth becomes nothing. When what becomes your identity fails, your self-worth becomes nothing. So, let's talk about how they all fail, starting with people. So, how, why can't we get our identity from people, yourself, and we'll even throw things in there. So, we often define by what others say. I do this all the time. Uh, maybe, you know, someone says, you're dumb, or, you know, I'm a blonde. You know, that becomes your identity. You can't, you think you're dumb or you can't achieve something academic so you don't go for the scholarship. You're never going to apply for that school. You're not going to go for that because that's become your identity. You're that person. You don't even think to achieve that. Or maybe someone says you're ugly or you just, you know, you're the ugly person in the group. Everyone knows that. So you start to believe it and that's not good for your health. We often look to others for approval, attention, and love. We People try to find their identity from others and might do whatever it takes to be accepted by them. These arbitrary societal definitions can lead to a horrible self-image and a feeling of being trapped. Everyone wants to be accepted by people. Everyone wants attention. So with the world surrounded by sin, it can be easy to follow what others say and do to try to fit into these arbitrary boxes. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says... For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the purpose of our heart. We can't please people. God's plan is much larger than that. We can't fit into what society, what others say we are. We can't define ourselves by what others say. We don't have to be what the world says we are. So let's talk about... Things. Why can't I be what I do? Why can't I be what I produce? Uh, Benjamin Nugget has a cool quote. When good writing was my only goal, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. The quality of my work, the measure of my worth. Uh, so when I was young, back in my high school days and in elementary, uh, I was often known as the uh, tech kid, the computer guy. He knew all, you know, I could fix the... My, one of my first memories was fixing a smart board. Hey, it's not, a smart board's not working. Then you try to fix that in elementary school. Or the Chromebook's busted. This thing isn't working. What does this mean? I did a lot of computer stuff. It's the stormtrooper in the background. I was a nerd. Uh, but if I made that identity as, you know, I'm the tech kid. If I made that my identity, someone would come along and be smarter than me. And that happens a lot. So if I made being that thing... My identity, I would be worthless because I would be not the best. I'm not the best at that. We can't define ourselves. You can't define yourself by what you do or what you produce. You can't compare. Uh, and I don't know if I'm the only one. So now we'll talk about why you can't define yourself. 
Now, I don't know if I'm the only one in here who struggles to live up to their own expectations, but I often fail myself. I miss my own deadlines, forget to do stuff that should be beneficial to me, and fight with myself. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. The topic of self-esteem is becoming more popular with its decline. People are increasingly thinking of themselves as worthless. We often compare ourselves to others, sometimes looking less ideal than them. And I could go on and on and berate myself with examples, as I'm sure anyone else could, of how I don't compare to others. I could talk all about how I'm not as good as this person or better than this person, but the Bible says in Galatians, pay, attention, pay careful attention to your own work, and then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. We're each responsible for our own we don't need to compare ourselves to others. So when we identify ourselves, we compare ourselves to others. Here's a quote. Any identity that is achieved rather than received has to be excluding. When you compare yourself to others, you're devaluing them in order to elevate yourself. So maybe, you know, you're the fastest in the class, or the fastest in the county, the fastest in your family, whatever. By saying you're faster than someone... You're saying others are not. You're devaluing their fastness. Or maybe you say that you are loved. You know, I am loved. That's my identity. I know I'm loved. I'm confident in that. But who are you loved by? Are you saying you're loved by yourself? You can't be loved by yourself. That's arrogance. Or maybe you're implying that someone else loves you, so you're getting your identity from someone else. You're putting your words in their mouth. Or maybe you say you're the worst at basketball. I'm just the worst on the team, I can't, you know, I sit on the bench all the time. Well, you're comparing yourself to others. You're responsible for your own conduct. That means you just do the best that you can, and you don't have to compare yourself to your family or your team, your community. Identity has to be something that is received. You can't name yourself. You have to receive identity, similar to how I have received the identity of son, or brother, or student. I can't just go around claiming to be a parent. You're welcome, Dad. <laughs> or a Super Bowl MVP. I'm sorry, Dad. Uh, or a woman. Uh, too often, people define themselves by people and things. Uh, maybe you, you, know, you think your parents can define you, but what happens when they move or when they die? Or what about money? Well, what happens when your money runs out? You put your identity in yourself. Well, what happens when you fail yourself and don't measure up? Relationships will fail. Money will fail. People and objects will fail. When what becomes your identity fails, your self-worth becomes nothing. And I'm not saying that people can't compliment you. People, you know, people can say you're an amazing per person, and maybe you, know, you're, you are the best artist, or maybe you have the best self-confidence in yourself. But the moment that that fails, which it likely will, your identity will fail too. You can't be identified by the words of man. So people fail. Uh, let's talk about feelings, and this is going to go a little faster. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 says, Better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than conquer a city. It's better to control your anger, to have self-control, and control your feelings. Philippians 4.6-7 says, Don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He has done. When you will, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds Anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ. When we feel emotions, when we feel anxious, we should pray about it. And through that, we will gain peace. <coughs> and Proverbs 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts in their own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. 
We can't trust our feelings. We can't be fools. Now, feelings aren't bad, but they can go unchecked and misused. For example, uh, think of the saying, you can't help the way you feel, but you can help how you react to those feelings. God and Jesus felt righteous anger, and Jesus cried many times like when Lazarus died. Feelings can be useful and a tool for empathy, justice, and faith, but just as easily can be mis misused and lead to despair, regret, and pain. Your feelings will change, but how you react doesn't have to. We need to be wise and slow to anger, to check our emotions, and to use them when we can. So instead of letting feelings identify you, we should use faith. Feelings will fail. James, uh, now let's talk about actions or behavior. James 2, 17 through 19 and 26 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless, it's produce, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now some may argue, some people have faith, while others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Just as the body is dead without breath, so is faith dead without good works. Faith without works is dead. It's not just enough to believe God existed. It's not enough to believe that Jesus died and will save you. It's not enough to just trust him. There are actions required. It's the natural progression of faith. If you have faith, it should produce deeds. Even the demons have faith. Even the demons believe that God is true. It's faith and works. Faith should encourage your behavior. And I like what James says, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. People should be able to say there's something different about them. How they love, how they present themselves, how they dress, how they, you know, what they do, who they are is different than the world. And they really shouldn't say, oh wow, they're a Christian? Your faith and identity, your faith in Christ and identity as a Christian shouldn't conflict with your actions or your behavior. So feelings can't be trusted, and actions and behavior should come from faith. The world will try to convince you to be what you feel, to build your identity from your feelings and act on them. But your actions should have purpose and faith behind them. We can't always act on our feelings. We have to be wise. So now we talk about God's portion of that. And, you know, it's weird that God would be in the, in the circle of the societal view, but it's because God can still go wrong if you're not careful. So, you know, maybe you say, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? You know, what people say doesn't bother me. I don't get my identity from people, and I can keep my feelings in check. And most of my actions are down the right path. I'm doing pretty good. But you can still go wrong. You can still be misguided in your identity because the enemy wants you confused. Here's a quote. We live in a day and age where, if you have not noticed, the enemy is running rampant with the issue of identity. We can tell this because everything is being redefined, like marriage, trust, life, leaders. The thing God has already given definitions to, everybody's trying to redefine. Satan wants you confused, and one way is through his personal attacks. And this started with Adam and Eve, when Satan tried to deceive Eve to question God. He says in Genesis, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and and evil. Satan said, is that really what God said? That's, that's not what he meant, right? Satan is wildly crafty, and he knows how to confuse and deceive. Satan also tried to confuse Jesus of his identity as God. And like with Jesus, Satan crafts his temptations towards you. They are personal attacks to exploit you, 
And an, an example that I can think of would be like, if you have a house and there's a door and a window, if you don't lock the door, Satan's going to come straight through the door. I mean, he's not going to try to go through the window when the door's open. Lock the window, he's going to try to lock the door, he's going to try to go through the window. Lock both of the window and the door, and he knows how to pick your locks, pick away at you, and try to get in there. Satan knows your weaknesses and will exploit them everywhere. Secondly, Satan offers counterfeit happiness. It feels like God, but it's just not that. It's just not what it wants. During youth group, we studied Galatians. And I don't know if anyone here remembers, because I don't. I had to look back at my own message. Uh, but we talked about these sins. The sins of the flesh, the result of our sinful nature. And there's an interesting pattern to all of them. They all feel like love. And I call them counterfeit love. Satan wants you to fall into these sins because they feel like love. They feel like happiness. They feel like what God says he offers but they're temporary and not from him. Satan wants you to get hooked on these self-centered sins and ignore God. Satan wants us to enjoy the destructive flesh instead of the saving spirit. So how does this fit into my loop? Satan offers a fake love to turn you away from God. He'll, he will define you by those sins. You'll feel trapped, unable to break free, and spiraling out of control. Satan will take the place of God, offer you a way around God. This is his counterfeit love, his counterfeit God. And even without that, just like in the wilderness with Jesus, Satan will twist God's word for his agenda. Spreading words in your head and around your community of what he wants you to think God really is. If you're not well read in the Bible, if you don't double check your sources, what feels like God, what sounds like God, could really just be a wolf in sheep's clothes. Satan provides personal attacks and counterfeit methods, making you feel like you don't need God. Satan stops you from finding your identity from God. He gives you a way around. So where should your identity come from? And as Ethan said, Jesus. That's where our identity should come from. comes from Christ. And here is my rough diagram. It really is a rough diagram. Chase could have done better in uh, paint. Uh, the S somehow got down in a space even. But it's a, it's a, it's a small visual. Uh, I think that our actions, our feelings, and what people say can all still be a part of our identity, but they have to go through a filter. And not only does God provide a filter through the Bible, but he also defines us through the Bible. He is the main source of our identity. Judges 6, 11 through 12 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abazir. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat in the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero. God gave Gideon his identity. The Malik Yahweh, or angel of the Lord, often comes to people in the midst of their identity crisis. This incarnate Jesus comes to people like Hagar and Gideon to personally define them. And my favorite story from the Bible of an instance like this is the story of Jacob. And although theology, theologians will argue if that was the Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, and incarnate Jesus, or just an angel, I like to believe that it was the incarnate Jesus that came down to Jacob and wrestled him for his identity. And Jacob wrestled so aggressively that he won. God dislocated his hip, leaving him with a limp, and then gives him a new identity. God gave Jacob a new identity a new name, a new identity in Israel, and a reminder of his identity, and God does that for us. God defines his people. 
God created us, and then he gave us an identity. Our identity should have God at the center as a filter. People, emotions, actions, they're all accounted for, but we need to filter it through God, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. But you still need to be careful because Satan is still after you to deceive you. He will still try to use the world to define you. He will twist the Bible to define you. He will use the Bible and focus your identity. So you need to use the Bible and focus your identity on what God says, and then doing so, Satan won't be able to attack. God doesn't fail. It's a faith-filled, genuine relationship with God that will allow you to live against the things that define you. And Satan can't attack you. He can't confuse you because you check everything with the Bible. Satan can't use your feelings because you don't act on them. Satan can't manipulate you through people because you don't you know that's not who you are. Satan can't make you make bad, impulsive decisions because you have a purpose. Will you mess up? Yeah, I do all the time. And I'm sure everyone else does too. But putting God at the center of your identity will help you deflect a lot of the attacks Satan will throw. And I think one of the biggest applications of identity that you can see is the topic of transgender and sexual identity. The world says to embrace how you feel, but what are you feeling? I don't think those people are feeling God's identity for them. I think they're just seeking attention and pleasure, not the kingdom of God, and there's so much attention-seeking in our society. It's only bringing glory and attention to yourself. Satan wants you to feel confident through him, but what you need to be confident in is God. The Bible says to be confident in God and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You should want to draw attention with your identity in Christ rather than your appearance or what the world says. Remember, when what becomes your there it is. When what becomes your identity fails, your self-worth is nothing. You want to be confident in who you are, accept what God says, follow him, and receive his love. God never fails, so let him define you. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never change. God's promises are forever. So when he says you're wonderfully complex, intricately, craft, intricately crafted, and marvelous, that will last forever. When he says be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or discouraged because God will not fail you or forsake you, that will last forever. When he says to cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, he says to pray about your anxiety so that he can bring you peace, that will last forever. When he says he has good plans for you, full of future and of hope, giving you a purpose through love, that will last forever. And when he says that he does this because he loves each and every one of you, that will last forever. To save you from yourself, to save you from the world, and to personally define you. And ultimately, my four-year-old chart here doesn't mean too much. But what's important is what's said in those verses and so many others that try to personally define you. And you may think, I know all of this, but I don't feel it. I don't know how this is true. I just don't feel it in me. The one word is faith. And the actions from that faith. Look at the martyrs who have faced death and torture, attempted suicide, and have been locked in prison. How did Jesus come out of that if it's not real? And look at the community around us with passion and joy. Why are any of us here if it isn't Jesus? And I look around and it's like, if the martyrs can, you know, they can be in prison for 10, 20, 30 years, face, face death, and they can come out of that with Jesus? 
And if we can be around here and we can see every single one of us, every, all the passion in each and every one of the people here, everyone around our community and the community of churches, how can it not be real? And if that's real, if that is all true, then this is. God has identified you as His, a masterpiece worthy of life, beautiful where it matters, loved beyond cognition, given worth, cared for beyond all other creation, given this time for a purpose, put where you are for a reason, and a part of a community of passionate Christians. A masterpiece that if no one else does, God loves so much that He sent Jesus to die so God could say, no, that's not you. That thought is not you. What they say is not you. That action is not you. This, dying on the cross, loving you so much. What I've done for you, that is you. Remember, when what becomes your identity fails, your self-worth becomes nothing. God never fails. So be confident in yourself. Be comforted by who you are being loved and saved by God. Accept Christ and accept your new identity removed from society and help others who may not see their identity, who may not see who they are and what God said they are, help them see what God says they are. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all that you do for us and for the identity that you give us. Be with us to be able to go out into the world and to accept our identity, to find love through our identity, and to help others be who, they, who you say they are. Help us to be their mirror for them to see what you say they are. And be with us to find comfort and confidence knowing that all of this is true, that we're all here for you. In your name I pray, amen.